This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. I'm from Los Angeles originally, and my husband is originally from the Midwest. So we're just out here by ourselves, you know, having these babies and need a support group. Her name is Helena Andrews Dyer. She's a black woman, and she's written a book. It's called The Mamas, What I Learned About Kids class and race from moms not like me. I knew I wanted to be in a mom group when I was confronted with my neighborhood mom group, the women in the closest proximity to me, which is the easiest, honestly. It was surprisingly, blindingly, to me, very white. And guess what she discovered? We were more like in many ways than we were different. Coming up in this episode of Colors. What does it mean to be Asian in America? When I think of the Asian Americans, uh, I think that we're all unique and different. We come from different cultures and backgrounds. We come from unique stories, not just as a group, but just as individual humans. When I think about the groups, however, I know that the Lao experience um, and also the Southeast Asian experience for many of us, uh, the distinction would be that many of us fled war. And that has to be a distinction because when we talk about our experiences, when we think about the trauma and the generational trauma and how we show up as adults, the things that we live through may uniquely be different from other Asian American groups that came here maybe not fleeing war, but perhaps came here to get an education or for a job opportunity. Some extraordinary research from the Pew Research Organization. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. My name is Lily Quiroz, and I'm a Mexican-American living in Washington, D.C. My name is Shonda Buchanan. I identify as African-American and American Indian. My name is Ken Duffy. I am white, first-generation Irish-American born in New York. And I'm J.J. Green. I'm black. And this is Colors. On this episode, we're going to examine a piece of extraordinary research. It's titled, What It Means to be Asian in America, the lived experiences and perspectives of Asian Americans in their own words. The Pew Research Center did this work, and they start off an article that's published on their webpage that says, no single experience defines what it means to be an Asian in the United States today. Instead, Asian Americans' lived experiences are in part shaped by where they were born, how connected they are to their family's ethnic origins, and how others, both Asians and non-Asians, see and engage with them in their daily lives. 
Neil Ruiz is Associate Director, Race and Ethnicity Research at the Pew Research Center, and he joins us to talk about this extraordinary research. Neil, thank you so much for joining us today. Tell me specifically why you and your organization decided to do this project. Yeah, I mean, we did this Being Asian in America project because there are 24 million Asian Americans in the United States. Um, It's the fastest racial ethnic um, group growing in the United States. And really wanted to give a full understanding of what does it mean to be Asian in the United States? Um, This is a very diverse population, even though there's there's 7% of the US population, they come in different starting points, some as students, some as refugees and asylum seekers, some as high-skilled workers, some sponsored by family members. So there's many different reasons why Asian Americans and Asians come into the United States. So I really wanted to understand how they're identifying here in the U.S., how they're being seen and treated in the U.S., and what does it mean for them to be home in America? Yeah, that's a really interesting um, concept there. Who did you talk to for your research? Yeah, we had 66 focus groups of 264 participants, um, and this was of 18 different um, Asian ethnic origin groups, and we also did them in 18 different languages. Um, Just so you know, Asian Americans are, um, the majority are immigrants in the United States. That's the largest of any racial and ethnic group. And there are, you know, some are large groups, such as Chinese, Indian, Filipinos, Korean, Vietnamese. And some are smaller, less populous groups like Bhutanese, Burmese, Hmong, Laotian. And we designed this research this way with focus groups to really provide a voice and elevate the smaller populations as well as the large ones. Um, And we also split them into those who were born abroad and those who were born in the United States. So this really helped us understand kind of their different um, circumstances and their different attitudes and their different um, views and, and issues here in the United States. I guess a, a, qual- a quick follow-up question on that is, how long did it take you to do this? Well, we did this, um, it took us about two and a half months of fielding. Um, and this was right in the middle of the pandemic. So we did this all virtually, but thankfully we were able to get everyone onto the Zooms and really just hear and learn from them. Um, and, and also one caveat here is that um, all of them were moderated by members of their ethnic groups. So they were very open about a lot of deep things about their lives with us. Yeah. Another quick follow-up on that. Um, how did you find the people to do the moderation or to do the engagement with the groups? Yeah, we had a, a really great um, partner, uh, PSP Insights. They they were working with us. Um, they have a large network of uh, because they did the focus groups for the census 2020. So they were able to have this large uh, recruitment of different participants, um, uh, potential participants through their through their network. So and they had people who were members of the groups and they had um, networks um, and you really had to network and <laughs> to get people to trust. Why would you want to go in the yeah. study and talk about your identity? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can imagine that that would be a bit of a daunting task. But so now the big question, I suppose, is what did you learn? This may take a minute for you to explain uh, or not, but um, what did you learn? I mean, we learned so much. I mean, I'll, I'll cover three aspects. Um, first, about identity. 
Um, Asian, like we always have the shortcut of this Asian label, really is only one part of how participants viewed themselves. Um, for example, uh, less populous Asian origin groups, such as Hmong or Laotian, that those who are less recognizable were telling us that you know they usually default to Asian because it's too hard to explain where they're from because people don't know geographically where their country origin country is from. Um, another example is um, Asian doesn't necessarily fit. Many for our South Asian participants, for instance, one U.S. woman of Indian origin told us, "quote I love South Asian or Desi." Um, as our identity, because uh, it really didn't resonate usually the Asian label and South Asians are very different, um, as she was telling us and many other South Asians were telling us about of, of the Asian label. In terms of how others see them and treat them in America, we heard many things about the model minority myth, um, the idea that Asians are intelligent, gifted and, and hardworking. And it actually had a, a more negative role for many people. I mean, usually people think it's positive to be thought of as a model minority, but some people have told us that actually it hurts them. Like whether or not you are uh, successful, if you do well in math in school, for instance, participants were telling us, oh, you're doing well because you're Asian. And then if you don't do well, people are telling them, well, what's wrong with you? You're Asian. So you're, it's never a, people were telling us that there was never a win-win situation. Like you're expected to be a certain way to fit this stereotype. And um, also another one was about this forever foreigner idea that um, you know people were asked constantly this question, people were telling across all focus groups, the question were say, when people ask you, where are you from? And then they follow up, you know, usually answer, well, I'm from Washington, D.C. And they said, no, where are you really from? And many participants told us that it's basically this idea that people think they're not from here, that they're foreign. So we were hearing this constantly. And then lastly, to end on a positive note, we, we heard a lot about what does it mean to be home in America? I mean, despite these challenges, people were telling us that it's about kind of blending the cultural heritage where their parents or they come from, as well as being Americanized, being, you know, following their dreams. So I think that's actually really interesting to hear the, the, the how they're navigating and blending two cultures. <clears throat> you know, Neil, um, there, there's a lot there, as you said, um, and, you know, part of it is, you know, for lack of a better term, I guess the ignorance of broader America to not understand, you know, after so many years of being a nation of immigrants to look at a person who uh, may be of Asian or African or Pacific Islander or South Asian or whatever Slavic ethnicity to look at them and, and not realize at this point in 2022 that, yes, these people can be home. This this can be their origination point. And that's very interesting to hear, you, you know, that you're still getting that. Um, mm -hmm. We did an interview not too long ago with um, a fairly well-known um, um, news anchor and reporter from CNN, Emerald mm -hmm. Walker was her name, and she talked about a situation where she was at an airport in 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 New Orleans, I believe, and, and within a span of an hour was essentially assaulted, insulted, and essentially harassed three times within an hour with that same theme. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, a person that just wasn't used to 
seeing a person that looked like her that spoke mm. like a person that that person thought would be an American. So there's a lot, a lot of issues here. So this yeah. work you're doing is good. I'm glad you did it. Um, did you, in any of your discussions here, anything about violence in America against Asian uh, Americans, Pacific Islanders? Yes, um, unfortunately, in many of our, we asked about discrimination and experiences of discrimination. And I, of course, given what happened in 2020 and the pandemic, we heard a lot about COVID-19 in particular. But for many Asian Americans, they told us that this is nothing new. They told us, if you look at history, our Japanese American focus groups were telling that participants were telling us, look what happened to them and their parents or the grandparents where they were basically land was taken away from them. And we were wondering, why are you in Colorado instead of California? And they were, they were telling us, well, because we were incarcerated and we had to find a new home. And then our South Asian participants, those especially our Pakistani American focus groups, they were really telling us about not what happened after 9-11. We heard stories of like at the airport where they were being stopped and um, you know told, blamed for what happened in, in the Twin Towers or, or people telling them that, um, you know, you know, questioning them, what are they doing there in the airport if they're going to be violent or something. So we heard that. And of course, what happened since COVID-19, you're hearing about people being um, blamed um, for, for this pandemic. So I think that that's, it's, it's something that, you know, we have these big events, but we also hear a lot of stories about discrimination is nothing new for many Asian Americans. Yeah. Um, what are you what are you going to do with this research aside from publish it, obviously, so that we can read it and um, so that it becomes a part of, you know, I guess the American information ecosystem. What are you planning to do with it? I mean, you're right. I mean, it is published out there. Um, and what we do hope to is continue to con- do our work here at Pew Research Center, we really believe in providing a voice and understanding of all Americans. Mm-hmm. And I think this is part of that. This is just the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at our, we don't just have a publication, we also have a documentary, 30 minutes, um, but it really covers the findings of the focus groups and you could hear people, partic- video participants tell us their stories. And the hope here is just that Americans and the general public could have a better understanding of Asian Americans. And also for Asian Americans themselves to see their own voices in a Pew Research Center study, because I think it's been missing for a while. And I think it's great that they're able to um, hear their voices and understand they're not alone as well. And they have similar experiences as other people who are from their ethnic origin or their own racial ethnic group. Is there a way, to your knowledge, to export this information to groups and communities and people that might not normally consume Pew Research information, and I'm not necessarily talking about schools, but I'm talking about, you know, you have uh, city and county organizations that might benefit from this kind of research and understanding. Uh, Is there any kind of connection with them? Yes. um, Luckily, we got, because we have a a large number of stakeholders who are helping us with this this, um, study, and we also have some funders who have a wider networks than we do in terms of in the communities, and they've been spreading this publication and the video throughout them, and we've been getting some great reactions where people are like, wow, 
we're finally hearing ourselves in, in, in America or in a mainstream study. So I think that's, that was great for people to, you know, it's disseminating not just at the local level to community organizations and as well as at the national level. So, I mean, that's really the hope of this study so people can see themselves reflected um, here in America in a Pew study. I was going to ask you what kind of feedback you've gotten. Uh, you've kind of answered that, but uh, can you give me a, a broader slice of feedback you might have gotten from this? Yeah, we've been getting some, since this release on August 2nd, we've been getting a really wide um, variety of, of, of um, great reactions from journalists to policymakers to government officials, people really telling us, wow, I mean, I'm finally seen. That's the sentiment that I've been hearing. Like people, it's this sentiment that they've been missing their voices or an accurate depiction of who their lives, their identity, what they're going through. That's kind of what we've been hearing, which is really heartwarming for me because I really wanted to really depict and accurately picture Asian Americans in the United States. And it's, it's nice to really hear that it's touching people right at the heart, in their hearts. Um, what do you think this information, this, this research tells Americans and others about living here in the U.S. I think what it tells us, this this study really tells us that, you know, don't assume just because you're one of a specific racial or ethnic group, you're not all the same. I think what people were telling us that they come from different circumstances. They have different starting points in America. For instance, we heard from our Hmong, our Laotian, Cambodian, those who came as refugees, very different circumstances where they were, you know, left because of conflict from, from their origin nations, and they had started from nothing, and they didn't even plan to come to the United States. Whereas others, those who were Indian, some were Filipino or Chinese, were planning to come to the U.S., came in as students or came in as kind of economic or high-skilled immigrants, and they also have their challenges too, but they're also in a different income bracket than those who came in as refugees. So I think what this study is telling us that there's this diversity. You cannot assume that everyone's the same just from one racial ethnic group. There are different circumstances, but there are also some shared circumstances as well that we also heard. Neil, was there any particular part of this project so far, the research, you know, the practical process of collecting the information and then uh, disseminating or rather, rather, analyzing the information and then disseminating it. Um, is there any particular thing that stood out to you? Maybe something you learned or something you did, something you saw or maybe your own experience that you'd like to share? And what I heard, what's interesting, I mean, I'm second generation uh, Filipino American. Um, my parents immigrated from the Philippines. And what I heard here because we designed this study to really understand those who, were, who came in the U.S. as immigrants and those who were born in the United States, we really heard, I heard my own voices in there, and I heard my parents' voices there as well. I heard the struggles they had as immigrants trying to find a better home for their children and really trying to not understand America, not knowing English really well, and trying to raise their children and not knowing you know, the American system. And then for myself, I saw myself and other U.S.-born um, Asian-Americans who were trying to navigate what does it mean to be them in America, right? Your, your parents are from a different land, 
have very different circumstances where they came from, a different way of growing up, and in here trying to navigate yourselves, um, navigating through an American school system and trying to just do well here as well. So I think that that, that was really interesting to me to hear personally that I, I wasn't alone, the way the struggles that I was going through. And that makes me proud because it helps me understand that there's many, there's 24 million Asian Americans who can finally see or hear themselves in a Pew Research Center study. Yeah, I'm, again, really thrilled about this research. Those 24 million people, can you give us a sense of where most of them are, um, where they live in the States? Um, Asian Americans, the 24 million live throughout geographically everywhere in the United States. I mean, there's high concentrations in places like California, Hawaii, um, New Jersey, um, New York, but there's a big growing population. For instance, the fastest growing is actually in, in the Midwest, um, for instance, like in, in Wisconsin and Minnesota or in, um, in, um, in um, the North South Dakota, where you have one of the fastest growing Asian populations in the United States. So Asian Americans are throughout all around the United States and still growing. As I said earlier in the beginning, they're the fastest growing racial ethnic group in the United States. And I think one final thing I'd like to ask you, um, did you get any sense of what their views were on global affairs, how things are in the world and what's going on in the world? Um, this study wasn't designed for that um, in terms of understanding global affairs, but we did hear their views of their origin countries, right? Um, so we did hear, especially for Vietnamese Americans, I mean, they left because they didn't want to be part or they were trying to escape um, Vietnam or the fall, you know, to communism there. Or we heard, um, you know, for, for some participants about, you know, the, the views of their origin countries, like Filipinos are talking about Philippine politics, a little bit about how that um, that's there or, or Chinese talking about China as well. What does it mean? What is China or Korea for Korean Americans? What does it mean for them? We did hear um, particularly when it comes to global affairs, especially for Korean Americans, you know, with the rise of K-pop and the rise of kind of their country, you know, with, you know, Thai technology and people knowing now that Korea, people were telling us, you know, that does help them have pride in being Korean American because people could recognize in terms of global economic affairs that they're recognized both in popular culture as well as in our economic, um, um, in our global economy. So you heard a little bit of that, but not exactly, not from everyone, but just here and there in tidbits. Well, Neil, um, this has been a fascinating conversation. Uh, any final thoughts you'd like to share before we go? I just want to say thank you so much for having me here, JJ. And I think that um, this study, there's more to come. I'm, I'm just so excited that this is just the beginning where we're really going to be able to um, provide the voices and understandings of a fuller voice of, of the American racial and ethnic landscape. So thank you so much for having me. Neil Ruiz, Associate Director of Race and Ethnicity Research at the Pew Research Center. Stay tuned for some thoughts about race in America and details about our next guest. You're listening to Colors. Hi, my name is Michelle Goldchain, and I was born in Washington, D.C., but raised in Northern Virginia. I'm a Latina, but you probably wouldn't know that if you saw me. My pale skin, and more importantly, my difficulty with speaking Spanish on any level is just the iceberg to how much of a gringa I am. 
But if you only took a look at my background, you would know that I just barely made it to being an American if it weren't for my parents and their immigration to the United States only a few decades ago. In the end, though, my entire heritage is something I feel disconnected with. My mom was born in Tegucigalpa, the capital of Honduras, and she immigrated to the U.S. in November of 1979. My dad was born in Santiago, Chile, and he immigrated in 1959. My dad told me that when he came to this nation at the age of six and a half, he instantly felt different. He told me he didn't speak English on the first day of school, and he said he looked a little bit different, but he said it brought out his competitive side. For my mom, she told me that she never felt mistreated because she came to Washington, D.C., which is a multicultural city. For me, despite my ethnic background, I believe that my Caucasian appearance fit how I feel about who I am, washed out and cultureless. In 2012, when I was just 20 years old, I spent a month in Honduras meeting family I had never known before. Speaking to them, there was this constant disconnect of how much I could speak, couldn't speak, and then their expectations of my comprehension skills. At the dinner table with everyone speaking with thick accents, their skin tan, their culture vibrant, I just sat there trying to catch up to every word, trying to understand, but I couldn't really. I was just a tourist. What does it mean to be a Latina? What does it mean to have a past heritage that can't be accessed? Not really. A gringa, a Latina. In the end, Am I whatever my skin and my language say I am? This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. If you have any questions or comments about Colors, send us an email. You can reach us at colors at thecolorspodcast.com. That's colors at thecolorspodcast.com. My name is Lily Quiroz, and I'm a Mexican-American living in Washington, D.C. My name is Shonda Buchanan. I identify as African-American and American Indian. My name is Ken Duffy. I am white, first-generation Irish-American born in New York. And I'm J.J. Green. I'm black. And this is Colors. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. Was the American Civil War fought because of slavery? More than 150 years later, this remains a controversial question. Why? Because many people don't want to believe that the citizens of the Southern states were willing to fight and die to preserve a morally repugnant institution. Ty Sedgley, retired Brigadier General and professor at Hamilton College, talks with us. There has to be another reason, we are told. Well, there isn't. The evidence is clear and overwhelming Slavery was, by a wide margin, the single most important cause of the Civil War. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. That's it for this episode of Colors. Thank you to everybody that's helped us put this show on. Thanks for those who have brought us guests, those who have ideas, those who give us encouragement, those who give us criticism. It's all very valuable. Thank you. For our music, we thank Offshane. We thank Jesse Gallagher and Cosmic. And most of all, we thank you for listening, and we just would counsel you to keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast DC, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.